This is The Guardian. Quick warning, before we begin, this episode includes a conversation about eating disorders. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous 2-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com welcome friends you find me in my kitchen as ever I have found the most miraculous and exciting thing in my cupboards this morning. I was cleaning out the cupboard where the plates were and I found an old rogue Cadbury's mini roll. You know, the one in the purple packet. Oh my God. I must have eaten about 11 of them so quickly that this one went astray. But how old is it? Who cares? They all go the same way. In a short while, we have an actual doctor arriving in my house. It's Adam Kay, best-selling author of This Is Going To Hurt, who doesn't have a copy in their house. He spent six years delivering babies and working in fertility clinics, but turned to writing, where his credits include Mrs. Brown's Boys and That Mitchell and Webb Look, But major success came with This Is Going To Hurt, which was made into a seven-part BBC series earlier this year and in which he was played by the actor Ben Wishaw. His latest memoir, Undoctored, details the highs and lows of his post-doctor life and his stand-up comedy and writing career. And I'm curious to know what he's nibbling on when he's exited stage right And he's back home in his comfies. Okay, it's a little bit stale, but all chocolate cake is good chocolate cake. Adam Kay, welcome to Comfort Eating. Thank you for having me. People are constantly getting in touch with me for restaurant recommendations. And what I want to know is, do your friends still call you with medical queries? I get it decreasingly because I've not been a doctor for 12 years now. I've been 
almost exclusively drunk for that entire period of the time. So it's quite a it's quite a significant roll of the dice. Is it time to leave the dinner party when people are trying to show you their vagina? Uh, it is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, it's uh, touch wood. Is this wood? That's wood. Yeah, touching touching your wooden uh, dining table. It's never reached that. But there's been a whole load of there's been a whole load of rashes. And uh, but um, to be honest, just see your GP. Just sit. don't ask me. What are you doing, <laughs> Adam? This is the part of the show where I get to eat your ultimate comfort snack. What is it and why is it so important? Okay, I'm going to unveil it now. This is called posh tomato soup. (gasps) So, Commonal Garden Heinz tomato soup. Does it have to be Heinz? I've only tried it with Heinz. This is posh tomato soup. So, I mean, we're 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 going to invest. Into that, I'm going to show you my method. I'm going to glug in some sriracha sauce. And this is the uh, the classic uh, Flying Goose uh, yes. brand. And then we're going to crack in some black pepper, making posh tomato soup. Look, so- I'm going to just go and start doing it, but I often get told off at this point because my method is wrong. Am I just going? Am I just giving? Yeah, it just the a classic, couple, like, couple of couple of things. Like the- yeah, that'll do. There you go. Yeah. So we've what got sort some... of heat do you want in your posh tomato soup? At? Do it, go. Okay, it, so burn, I'd normally do my mouth. I normally do that sort of glug. Oh Lord. Okay, right. So that's yeah, a proper ingredient where it's not just it's, you're it's, going for it. Yeah, you are like so. It's spicy. That is, I would say, a good tablespoon. Yeah, I'd say tablespoon, tablespoon of, and a half of, of sriracha with black pepper. Yeah, we need to give it a proper stir. I'm giving it a stir. I notice you have no bread with this. There's no carbohydrate that's beside it. There's no. We just. We, this isn't. This is an emergency. Emergency. Snack when I've got like you know, there's a minute and a half ad break in Bake Off or whatever. You're gonna have to uh, uh, make something. Okay, ready. I'm going in. Mm. Oh, it's got a kick. It does have a kick? Yeah. Have, have I overdone it? I think. No, I think this is. No, it's good. I tell you why. It's um. It's still got that lovely tomato soup, that 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 base note that we all have from our childhood. That yeah. is just it's winter and it's cozy. But yeah. it's also With a refreshing got, modern it's, twist. It's got uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to my Master Chef face here. And but it's easy, it's 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 a it's also a bit of a kick in the a yeah. kick in the mouth. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's it gets sort of, hotter as you're going along. As yeah, well. it does. It's an absolute nightmare. Um no, I, I really I really like it. Is this the kind of thing that you would sit to eat or is it a standing up? It's actually mostly if I'm writing or sat on the sofa watching something. So I don't think I've ever had it in, in a formal dinner setting. It's certainly something I've never served to someone, certainly not after your reaction. I'm <laughs> trying, to be, trying to be positive. <laughs> you were born in Brighton. I was born in Brighton. You grew up in London? Yeah, I didn't live in Brighton long because my dad was working as a junior doctor and I don't think I'd even hit one by the time he got a placement in, in London. You live with your parents, your siblings, the six of it's, you. I mean, that's traditional when you're one, isn't it? It is. It is. They let not you to, in the house. Not to, yeah. not to, <laughs> to decide to make it on your own. Off you go. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> you were a vegetarian. 
and you were the only vegetarian in the house. Yeah. Why didn't you want to eat meat? I'd love to say it was because I was imbued with this amazing moral compass from mm. uh, from the time I was in nappies, but I've got whatever whatever worrying issue it is in my head that's meant that I've never liked the taste of meat. And I, I sort of didn't mind chicken nuggets, but anything other than that just didn't work and it just mm, gave me this slight ick. So yeah. I was just a really, really fussy eater. And then when it was pointed out to me, there's a there's a term, an acceptable term for this kind of fussy eating. That's that's what I um that's what I did. So did you did your mother make delicious vegetarian food for you to I would say that there are now more recipe books called yeah. Delicious Vegetarian <laughs> Foods than there were in the early 1980s. What did you she's eat? cooking for four yeah. kids and then yeah. one awkward one who's like, I'm not having that. What did you um, eat? There was this product called Bean Feast. Oh, Do bean you remember Feast. Bean Feast? Be- I mean, Bean Feast, I know it well. I was also a teenage vegetarian. I don't think you can underestimate the pain of that kind of sachet of, it's kind of gravel, wasn't it? It is, yeah. It's just gravel, watery gravel. Yes, it's like it's like what they eat on, you know, if they have to go to Jupiter or if you're doing a sort of <laughs> a sort of three months trek in the Antarctic. It's what it's what Shackleton would have would have had in his in his pack lunch. What were you meant to serve Bean Feast with? You got it from Holland and Barrett. I know this was back in the day. Yeah, and you made it, and it, it turned into a kind of grey sludge, didn't it? That's right. Now, were you meant to have it with pasta? What were you meant to pasta? Uh, or rice, or you just cut out the middleman and put it straight in the toilet. <laughs> Did being a vegetarian make meal times difficult when you were all sitting around? Uh, Did you feel like an outcast? I think um, home was was fine. Yeah. Uh, holidays were tough as a vegetarian. Yes. You know, in that in that time, because if you go to France, yeah, then their idea of vegetarian and my idea. There was a bit of a yeah. there was a bit of a gap. Yeah, I don't know what they thought vegetarian meant. Doesn't contain octopus or something? Because the number of <laughs> yeah. things that were just quite clearly a steak or yes. something that were presented. What? How? What do you think vegetarian means? But oh, yeah. um, my mum's French was good, so she was able to um, explain. Didn't just use the word vegeta- the word vegetarian. She said doesn't contain <laughs> sheep yeah. or this or that or. Can I just say that while you're talking, bits of the sriracha and the black pepper are still dissolving on my tongue. Oh, you've got and weeks so- of this, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> weeks of it. You're going to be Sorry. judging MasterChef tomorrow, and it's going to be it's going to be really fucking up a tiramisu. <laughs> you attended Dulwich College, a red brick public school in South London, founded in 1619. That is the year before the Mayflower set sail for the New World. You know an awful lot I about you. There you yeah. go. 17th yeah. century southeast London architecture. Yeah, I just, well, do you know, for a start, I love that school. I have, Obviously, I didn't go to it. I, I've been past it so many times. I'm fascinated by it. It's a very, very beautiful school. I don't know what it must be like to actually be a pupil there. What was, I imagine it's a lot better now. How do you look? Back on those times at Dulwich, I don't think I had a particularly fun time. I don't know if single sex education is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I, I, I yeah. can't. I just can't get my head around the idea that 
the first time I really spoke to a girl who wasn't a first degree relative was when I rocked up at university as a maladjusted 18 year old that doesn't feel great there's no number of a levels and and grade eights and harpsichord lessons that that make up for that it was a it was a very sporty school and I wasn't very sporty and Mm -hmm. so that othered me a bit it was quite old fashioned and didn't have a lot of friends there, I guess, was the, was the biggest thing. So so you look back at it and you don't have happy memories of school. It's just, um, you said lonely. Yes. And I, I think it's probably where a lot of my humour came from because, yeah. you know, it's becoming the class clown is quite, um, you know, if, if you've got that in your, in your toolkit, then mm. making people laugh is a way of, you know, yes. a sort of being liked um, to a certain extent. But my school gave me a lot of opportunities and, you know, I got to edit my school newspaper and learn oh. all these instruments and do all of these things. Um, it, it meant that I, uh, coming back to Shackleton, it meant I was able to have a wank in Shackleton's boat. Um, <laughs> so, um, the, it's so, the dream. So it's the dream. The, and something that was denied to me with my comprehensive school. You say you wonder what, what goes on as you... Of these places as you go past this sort of august uh, <laughs> building, um, which actually, it was built on the same model as the Houses of Parliament. So it's got like a mini Big Ben. So it's a bit mm. smaller, but it's all, it all looks sort of the same. And the various blocks of the school are joined together by cloisters. Mm. And in one of the cloisters, there was this big white boat, wooden boat called the James Caird, sat on some rocks. And at the time, no one had heard of Ernest Shackleton. Mm. He was just a bloke, a mm. random old bloke who died and given his boat to the school he used to go to. And then, was there some big film or something or whatever? He, yeah. he got, Shackleton got a really good PR team on board. And then suddenly Shackleton was famous and he was, you know, going up against Scott for the best explorer and all of that. Yeah. But the boat was just there. And when the bell went for, for lunch you know, you could, or, or break or whatever, you could uh, just run down and the first person there could, you know, open the hatch on the top and just sit in the boat and scratch their initials onto the uh, onto the now presumably priceless yes. uh, wood and have your, um, you know, your blue ribboned biscuit and a packet of Monster Munch. Um, at, sitting... And on one occasion, you know, do something worse than that. <laughs> if there is anything that displays the difference between my shit kicker comprehensive school education and yours is that I heard that at your school you had wine tasting lessons I did have wine tasting (laughs) lessons sorry I'm laughing that is the best thing I have ever heard how why so every Friday uh after after the last bell a bunch of uh people would go to the old library where a teacher who for some reason wanted to get 15 to 18 year old boys drunk would there'll be the lay on this great big thing so anyway everyone was just in it for the booze because we were teenagers and they were giving us and actually once a month I think the last Friday of the month it wouldn't be wine it would be spirits or fortified wines or something so it would be so much more hammered on 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 that week but (laughs) So, but essentially, the net result of this was when I left school at eighteen and went to university. Even though I didn't know anything about wine, 
I'd been drinking like 60 quid bottles of yes. plonk. And then suddenly I couldn't drink Black Tower or what yeah. everyone else was was drinking. Because obviously if you've if the only wine you've ever really drunk is like really expensive, fancy, you yeah. know, stuff. And there'd be guest lecturers who were like masters of wine or whatever it was. And they'd be showing all this stuff off. And so I can only now almost afford the wine I was drinking when I was 17. <laughs> They tried to take it seriously, and there were these scorecards, all these things out of out of ten. I, I think there was something about legs. They're like yeah, the, the judges' leg, legs. The legs on the glass. Is that's that what how it the, is. That's how the wine runs down. The, I yeah. see. Well, anyway, it's we almost, have to give a mark for the legs. Like I don't know, seven. <laughs> it's almost like you weren't listening at all. <laughs> you come from a medical family. Yeah. You followed in your father's footsteps, studied medicine at Imperial College in London. For most people, university is a handful of lectures a week and as many cheap pints the student union can offer. Degree in medicine, it's a very different type of degree, I think, to anything that a lot of people that are listening to this did. Did you kind of stick to that old saying, you know, work hard, play hard? I didn't just stick to it, it was almost mandated. Mm. It wasn't just work hard, because, I mean, you have to learn the entire contents of the human body and how it can go wrong. It's quite a mm. big undertaking. But um, it's also emotionally hard. So, like, week one, cutting into a, a dead body. Mm. I mean, as a teenager, it's not I mean, it's it's not yeah. easy. It's, it's not right. There are better ways to do it. There are better ages to, you know, to be a medical student, I would say, than as a teenager. And so you make jokes and you drink. The, my medical school um, and its various campuses had bars literally within the hospital premises. What kind of drink do you go right up to the bar and order when you have been taking a corpse to bits for the last three hours? I would have wanted something stronger, but I was pretending that I was very boisey and playing along with everyone else. So uh, it would be a snake bite and black. Oh. Snakey bee. Absolutely disgusting. Do you know something? I used to love a snake bite in black. Really? I used to, you know, back in my old goth days, mm. bars wouldn't serve them. They, really? Yeah. Like up in the north, snake bite in black was a bit of a taboo thing <gasps> because if you have one and then you have another and then, then you've had eight and then, and then suddenly the, had... the bins are on fire. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Hang on. For our, for listeners, snake bite and black. Now that is that's cider and lager. Yeah. Mixed 50 50 with, and then with, a big old glug of um, black currant black cordial. It's delicious. I hate the taste of beer. I can't yeah. stand it. Yes. Yeah, but you, that was a way of drinking a beer based drink that because it had been diluted with cider and with like half an inch of cordial, it, it I almost couldn't taste the. The beer, but I was pretending so hard to be one of the lads, which didn't last very long. But you know, that was that's what I would. Snakey bee is a macho drink. <laughs> it's totally on brand. It's so macho. It's so like oh, everyone else is having a lager. Oh, a pint of snakey bee, please. I mean, that is that is hardcore. That's like something that Lemmy orders. <laughs> I remember that next time. I'm, next time we drown for dinner. You came out of uni and uh, after a hookup, you're told that you're pretty good 
for a, a big lad. And you've you said in the past, and I thanked him because I'm British. And then slowly and silently began to digest this backhanded compliment. You've said that going forward, that really kind of altered your attitude to food and life going going on. I suspect that if he hadn't said that thing at that time, then something else would have yeah. would have made it. So I don't, you know, it's quite possible that this bloke's now read that chapter in in, in my latest book and, and knows who he is because uh, to be quite honest there aren't there aren't thousands of people I slept with at medical school <laughs> um I'd never thought of myself as as a big lad or any kind of lad I was yeah. just sort of me and then suddenly someone saying that in such a you know an emotional context really affected me and I uh long story short didn't really eat for a year food changed from a necessity and a pleasure to mm. something that was adding to a problem that didn't exist and mm. so it, I, I was you know in my head there was this problem food was the enemy and I knew that I had to sort it out and the truth was of course I, I wasn't big I, I was an, a, a lot smaller than I am now and mm. um, but it was in my head and and that and was tr- totally true to me. And with apologies to anyone who doesn't want to hear this for, for various reasons, mm-hmm. um, I found myself doing this thing that I thought I'd invented because I was so, you know, sort of wise and, and brilliant, but is, of course, a, a very well understood um, disorder, is I, was, I would um, eat some food, chew it and spit it out. And... I didn't swallow any food basically for a year and I would be spitting food into a bin, a big mm. horrible black bin that I had in my bedroom in this in the shared place I was I was living in and having never been a particularly social person it meant that I was terrified of any kind of environment where yeah. it might be like let's go for pizza or something so my my friendship group contracted and um, clubs and societies I was involved with at medical school that I was uh, medical school that I was getting a lot of enjoyment from I would sort of opt out of yeah. a bit and and yeah I did initially everyone said oh you look great and then you look in the mirror and, and, you're, like, and you're like I'm wearing smaller jeans yeah amazing I and, and then great. everyone tells you how wonderful you look and then they stop telling you how wonderful you look and people are asking you if you're okay yeah. And then I just wear baggier clothes so they don't ask it so much. And that's fine because I've got loads of baggy clothes in my wardrobe now because I've just lost a big load of weight. And then some of them are actively concerned. And then I cut them out my life because they're yeah. just jealous. And what do they know? Mm. And it would have probably continued a lot longer, but I got found out. Mm. I got I got rumbled and my flatmate said, you know, you need to get some help and I promised that I would on the mm. on the basis that they didn't tell anyone. I didn't get any help because doctors aren't very good at getting help, but I did stop mostly. Mm. And now I can say with my hand on my heart that I've totally stopped, but there were many, many occasions where life went wrong in one way or another and it was a way that I could regain 
control, control for, of a, for a short period of time. And I mean, this is comfort eating and it's about the real absolute joy of food, the unfettered joy of not fancy food, just everyday food. Do you still have joy in food? Can you have joy in food now today? I do now very yeah. much. And it's, uh, and it's, I think one of my greatest pleasures in life. I mean, there's two of us, we've got, we're both lucky to have, you know, decent careers mm. and we don't have kids. And so I think our single biggest use of disposable income is going out to eat. And it does bring me absolute joy. Yeah. And I'm really glad that I've I've managed to get, get that back because there was certainly a long period of time where food became the enemy. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. You began work as a junior doctor on the obstetrics and gynecology ward where doctors care for pregnant women and unborn children and look after women's sexual and reproductive health. Paint me a picture of an average day. I think the amazing thing about Labour Ward in particular is there isn't an average day. There's never really a quiet day. On the Labour Ward... What a privilege to to deliver someone's baby, to to be involved at the, at the most you know most important moment of this family's life. I'm now so old that when I do gigs, this has happened a few times now. It's been um, and uh, we'd like you to meet Charlotte. Hi, Charlotte. Uh, you delivered Charlotte. <laughs> oh my like, god! Oh no, really? <laughs> and they're now old enough to come to a gig. <laughs> Well, they could just be saying that. I've got no way of checking. No way. Hospital food. Hospital not, food. Not famously good. It if you isn't. were to compare the dietary intake of an inpatient to that of the patient's doctor, what would you discover? You'd be jealous of the inpatient. Would you? You would be jealous <gasps> of the inpatient. I think that healthcare staff should have access to hot food, yeah. whatever time of day it is. Yeah. Because they don't get a choice whether they're working during the day or the night. That's just what the rotor se- sends them to. Babies don't care if they're born during the day or the night. And yet, if you're working on that labour ward, at a certain point, there is nowhere 
to go for hot food. So it's a vending machine. It's a Twix, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love a Twix. Who doesn't? But it's not ultimately going to to see through that shift. There was one place I worked where they had a sort of ready meal vending machine next to a, a microwave. And you would sort of, you put your put your coins in, it would deliver you some sort of, you know, congealed, you know, pasta effort. You then mm. put in the micro. So, I mean, that was, it's just not good enough though, is it? Okay, I've got a question that should be on the medical exam. It's 3am in the morning. You've got two babies that are on their way. You haven't eaten for nine hours. You've got £2.50. What are you going to get from the vending machine? So it needs it needs to be full sugar, full caffeine drink. Full fat coke. Full fat coke. Yeah. Maybe Dr Pepper, feeling a bit exotic, <sighs> and and the rest of it, it's just, all just got to be Twixes. It's just Twixes. <laughs> as many Twixes Twix, as, as, Twix, as your budget will allow. Twix. Dr Pepper. What was his specialism? I don't know. It definitely wasn't dentistry, was it? <laughs> Everyone has bad days at work. When you're in the medical profession, those bad days can be incredibly traumatic. In 2010, after one such day, you decided to leave medicine. And you've said, I'd had many difficult days at work prior to that, and my coping mechanisms were enough to deal with those. But there was a maximum I could deal with, and it was that day. What made you turn to comedy writing, of all things? I think it's the only other skill set I could identify in myself. I'd gone straight from school to medical school without a gap year, and then straight from, you know, finishing my training to working on the wards and then gone straight into obstetrics. And it had just been a conveyor belt with no with no pause. Mm. And the only thing I'd ever really done other than other than medicine, was just writing down my funny, stupid, silly little skits, I guess. And so I thought, I'll give it a go for a bit. And I did not expect that it would work. But I thought, after such an awful experience, Mm. after being the the most senior person on on a ward who, you know, all you ever want is healthy mum plus healthy baby. And yeah. we had neither of those two things. And ultimately, if I'd been better, then maybe we would have done. Or what. It was just a. after that, mm. I needed something very different. And I thought that I would attempt, you know, performing comedy for a bit. Mm. It wouldn't work. And then a few months later, I'd shake myself down, apply for a different specialty. So I thought that's where it would all go. Mm. But um, for some reason, comedy worked out, and uh, and I am yet to yet to you know, rejoin. You start performing comedy. You start taking a one man show up and down the country, late nights, hours and hours on the motorway. Tell me about the food you're eating on the road. What I would generally go for. And they do the extra long Twixes, Twixies, whatever the plural is of a Twix. Twix, 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 and Twix. The mega long Twixes. 
I would go into the the BP and I would get a really slimy plowman's. So also I'm getting this at two in the morning or something. It's had a full day to mature in the, on the shelf. The uh, the tomato has really given everything to, you know, to the the bread is now wet. It's not really technically bread anymore. The lettuce is now almost gas. Uh, (laughs) And there's this strangely sweet mayonnaise, which you've never tasted (gasps) Anywhere else in all of food, and then you're eating it on your lap. You so the, and the and the packet opens out into some sort of tray. You know, yeah. sort of you break it open and you've got that on your lap, and then yeah. you're trying to sort of shovel it into your your mouth as you as you eat. And at yeah. some point, it'll divide in half at the point of the cheese because it'll yeah. be so wet, and then that's on yeah. your legs, and so. <laughs> Oh, my, my other choice is one of the one of the squat uh, Pringle tubes, you know, yes. uh, the, um, the the sour cream and chive one of those, because that's quite that's quite good for eating on the on the go. In 2017, you released "This Is Going to Hurt," a memoir based on the diaries you kept while working as a junior doctor. Safe to say that book did quite well. It was Book of the Year in the UK's 2018 National Book Awards. In fact, that year, it was the UK's second best-selling book. Michelle Obama actually only managed to be third. So how do you take to your newfound fame and fortune? Well, I still eat um, lukewarm Heinz tomato soup with sriracha in it. So I, I, I don't think it's changed change that much you don't um, do it in a in a gold embossed dressing gown <laughs> while setting fire to 50 pound notes in both ears i don't like doing telly i limit telly to my absolute obligations under contracts to you know um to whatever project i'm i'm working on but if someone recognizes me which happens every i don't know every month or so mm. it's because there's some kind of super recognizer who've identified me in Ryman's um, yeah. based on yeah. an opal fruit sized black and white 10 year old picture and the flap of the back of a book. And if they recognize me from that, then they're, 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 they're welcome to their chat. The public's appetite, though, to hear about the NHS and to hear about it in a, in a warm book funny way it seemed to be enormous yeah I was absolutely blown away by it it sort of took me a while to identify what it was yeah do people really care about what a doctor does after hours or do they really love disgusting stories this much but ultimately I think my books are love letters to the NHS and that is why they found such a such a big audience so you're doing comedy clubs and then you start doing after dinner speaking do audiences change at this point oh yeah because in after dinner speaking uh they don't want to have any comedy at least in comedy clubs they've decided let's go and see some comedy after dinner speaking they're there for their regional salesman of the year awards and then uh, and then it's like oh fuck we've got to hear some bastard on a microphone but uh the food is not good at mm. corporate events yeah. if you're a vegetarian what do you get it's sort of i think it's varied as the years have gone by the mushroom risotto's never yes. quite disappeared the phyllo parcel 
will be there Filo forever. parcel? What is it with that phyllo parcel that's always full of a kind of ropey mushroom sludge? Yeah, maybe a bit of goat cheese. Or, or the pat of goat's cheese, which is kind of just put splodged on the top. And why phyllo? Because why it phyllo? doesn't, it goes quite wet. Yeah. It sort of doesn't, doesn't survive long. And also, I'm no chef, as you may be able mm. to tell from, uh, oh, <laughs> from don't, everything don't we've said. Oh, don't put But phyllo looks like an absolute faff to make because it's all these little layers of stuff. Just give me a baked potato and have done with it. I think that phyllo suggests luxury. Oh, yeah. yeah. So what they're saying is, here, we're valuing you as a vegetarian. Look at us. We've lovingly wrapped this mushroom mulch in phyllo. Yes, in 3,000 layers of... Uh... Did you start drinking wine at these events? And is there anything that you pre-request when you have a rider? And my rider my rider always has uh, white wine on it. And actually, here's, here's what my rider has. It says Sancerre. Oh, um, Because right. it turns out, uh, as, as you know, I'm, I'm hugely experienced in wine tasting... I'm yet to taste an absolutely dog shit Sancerre. Okay. Whereas a Sauvignon Blanc or something, that could, you know, that can be that can be anything. But so that's that's my that's my rider. Sauvignon um, Blanc at corporate events is essentially I always call it wolf juice. Because <laughs> you have one and you think this is disgusting, then you have two and you're like, that's, that's fine. And then by three you're shouting at the regional MD. <laughs> You know, like a wolf. Like a wolf. And then afterwards, I will have uh, chips and cheese if it's available. What? Don't do that face. Chips and cheese. You know, I love chips. I love cheese. I love chips with toppings. I like chips with a moist or runny topping. <sighs> chips with grated cheese is where I draw the line. But it it it, it melts. On the hot chips, the and then chips you've got... would need to be quite warm, and I'm already concerned about the standard of the chips in the, in, <laughs> in, in a regional theatre. In a regional theatre, <laughs> you, you can't. That's not an argument. I like chips. It's not, it's not like I said cornflakes and cheese, where you can say I like cornflakes and I like they're too savoury. But the potato and the and the the cheese, they're <laughs> natural bedfellows. You, you wouldn't think twice about baked potato with cheese. I think it's just that it's the standard of the chips that is concerning okay. me because I don't think that you're going to get a triple cooked chip at Telford Arts Centre. You're not? You're going to get a McCain. It's, it's not even going to be McCain. No, but it's from, not even going to be McCain. No, from the fish and chip shop around the corner. It'll still be open at 10 o'clock. Any, and... any chip shop that's serving chips and cheese... I'm also questioning their wow. commitment. These are shots fired. To the- <laughs> you got married to your partner, James, a couple of years ago. I'm very interested from a Hello magazine point of view about the wedding. Did you go the full Monty? Was it marquee, long crying speeches? Was there a drunken disco? We got secretly married in a register office yeah. with strangers as the witnesses, which turns out the practicalities of that weren't what well, we thought. We're not telling anyone, so let's just get some people off the street. Turns yeah. out the people who you get if you need stranger at the last minute are extremely disgruntled 
council workers in the same building who've been pulled off yet another lunch break because some disorganised people have just rocked up without the requisite legal minimum to perform the the ceremony. And then, so we we did that. And then shortly afterwards, we gathered 50 or 60 people in a restaurant that we really like and had been going to for, you know, previous 10 years. And uh, it was quite nice. Um, And the best thing about it uh, as a wedding, I think, is it was really short. I need to know about the wedding cake. Wedding cake was from the late lamented Chocky Wocky Doodah. And it was um, uh, extravagant because all their cakes look, look, Mm. look lovely and big and mad. The thing that the thing that you would comment on had you seen it was the enormous, well not enormous, exactly life-size uh, white chocolate skull perched on the on the on the top layer. And we saw we saw that on their, you know, on their sort of list of all the cakes they could do. It was like, oh that says medicine a bit, that's very mm. cool. And so you know and there's always far too much cake. So you know we divided it up and and gave bits to people and we took our skull. Because we thought, yeah, we'll get that. And then we weren't sure quite what to do with it. This enormous, like, kilogram or whatever it is of chocolate, white chocolate. And so we just cling filmed it a bit and then put it in the um, bit at the bottom of the fridge where most people put the the vegetables and we put the uh, the skull. And that all, and that was all fine. And then we moved out of London, not over lockdown, just before lockdown, sort of suspiciously before lockdown, we moved out to Oxfordshire. And then lockdown happened. And oh, thank God, you know, we've got some mm. space and stuff. And we were still in the middle of selling our place in London. And lockdown meant that we couldn't really get most of our stuff out of it. And um, we had, a, at one point, an extremely worried phone call from the people who were buying our place in London off us when they opened the otherwise empty fridge and noticed uh, in the vegetable section there was a what seemed to be a human skull wrapped oh up in cling God. film. We're like, oh no 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 no, that's just that's just chocolate. Don't don't worry about that. Oh my God, buying it off a serial killer, well, yeah. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, maybe they were all just chocolate that they found in his fridge. I've not finished the series yet, but I'm getting getting the, getting the vibe that he 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 might have been a bit of a wrong one. Although, if that if that is the ending, then no, uh, no spoilers. Okay, fine. Earlier this year, the television adaptation of This Is Going to Hurt came out. Ben Wishaw starred as you. Was this a real pinch me moment? And more importantly, did your did your mum? who for years slightly regretted you leaving medicine, did she finally admit that you made the right choice by being a writer? Ben Wishaw, obviously, absolutely amazing. Also, because I don't do much telly myself, it means there's X million people who now think I look like Ben Wishaw and I'm absolutely happy uh, for them to go around thinking that. I think it was hard for my parents to understand the concept of me being a comedian or a writer of mm. random sitcoms they'd never heard of on television because it wasn't their world but uh, but books and bbc one i think they're they've 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 told me now that they're they're proud of me that said if i were to announce uh, today that i was going back to medicine i don't think they would complain do you think they would cheer they would, we'd hear it from here <laughs> yeah. and they're on holiday at the moment so <laughs> that's a pretty loud cheer is it as if that's an actual proper job. 
it is a proper job. What I do now isn't a proper job. The arts have absolutely enormous importance and influence and we'd be lost without them. But I'd have to have quite an ego as a a writer of japes to pretend it was in any way comparable to, you know, working on Labour Ward and, you know, saving a mum or a baby's life. But Adam, you're eating tomato soup with me in, in the daytime. You know, that is that is that is very good and it's not long going to be four o'clock and we can crack open the white. Adam Kay, you are wonderful. And so are you. Thank you very much for having me and putting putting up with my tomato soup. It was I delicious. Hope your taste buds eventually forgive me. I can't feel one side of my face. Thank you for coming for eating with me. Thank you. <laughs> This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Jack Claremont. The executive producer is Lucy Greenwell. The music was written by Axel Coquetier. Mixing and sound design was by Alice Boyd. If you like Comfort Eating, then please go and leave us a review and you can follow or subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And use the hashtag Comfort Eating Pod to get in touch about the podcast or share your own comfort eating delights. If you need support with an eating disorder, you can contact Beat at beateatingdisorders.org.uk. This is The Guardian. 